Welcome to Gin and Gentlemen. Before we get stuck in, a quick announcement. We're chuffed, thrilled, pleased and very, very excited to tell you that our novel The Ghost Garden has been shortlisted for the 2020 Romantic Novel of the Year Awards. The awards, if you haven't heard of them before, are run by the Romantic Novelists Association in the UK and are basically the romance version of the BAFTAs, darlings. If you don't already know, The Ghost Garden is a gothic romance set in a boarding school in a remote corner of Exmoor. It features Cecily, the wife of the bullying headmaster, and Raph, the rather unusual supply teacher. Can love overcome an ancient evil that threatens both the living and the dead? You'll have to read it to find out. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Gin and Gentlemen, with me, Eleanor Harkstead, bringing the gin. And accompanied by a typing pool filled with gentlemen, Catherine Curzon. Uh, Why have you brought a typing pool full of gentlemen today, Catherine? I have a typing pool full of gentlemen today because we're going to talk a little bit about how we write as a two. Yes. And I will say now, if you hear sort of strange metallic jingling... It's because Pippa, our dog, is also... Well, my dog, not our dog, my dog. <laughs> Writing dog. House dog. <laughs> is also with us to record today, and she's got quite a jangly collar on. So she might, you might hear yeah. the occasional bark. She's also that. got a squeaky bone, so I don't know if she'll be squeaking that for us later. But Pippa <laughs> is also here. So there you go. Actually, that's quite relevant to what we write, in a way. Because quite often we have pets and things in yeah, the stories, do. don't we? we so. Do. so we decided to do this, because quite often when we get interviewed by um book bloggers and reviewers and all sorts of lovely people um how we actually write as a pair is something that's asked of us quite often because it's obviously very unusual yes so we thought we'd lift the lid on it a little bit um not go fully behind the curtain as it were no but into the mechanics of it exactly yes so there's there's, um... (laughs) there she is Uh, pippa's like the idea of this clearly Um, so there's, there are some some people who write together and, and do it in different ways. So some people I, I know uh, two writers who were writing together, they would do like a chapter each. Um, so they would have like from the point of view of one character, then a chapter from the point of view of another character. There's other people who do it by like someone will write it, then the other writer comes in and adds their bits <laughs> to the bit that's already been done. That um, sound was Pippa's bone, not Pippa herself, I have to say. <laughs> um, and there's other people who write together as in somebody comes up with the plot and the other person writes it, but I'm, I think I'd find that, uh, that would be... Yeah, that's that's quite different, I that's think. That's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so so the way we do it is... Well, we, we use Google Docs. Um, Shall we talk about how we plan and things yes, like that? Yes, yeah. So usually... Um, the idea for it well you don't know where the idea for a story comes from sometimes or mm. sometimes we've talked about before it mm. could be something overheard on a bus mm. or excuse me, a news story that gives you inspiration or just you know just something that starts you thinking yeah about oh that would be a nice idea that could work out well um, and generally you know we, we talk a lot because mm. um, obviously we live quite a ways apart um, but we talk a lot and we all share back and forth when we've had ideas and some plot ideas we've had that don't really come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that doesn't mean they're not ever going to, they just haven't yet. Um, others will, by the time they're a finished novel, will be virtually recognisable from that first mm. kernel of inspiration. 
but then some stay pretty true to the original inspiration I think mm. um, but what we generally do is we we get an idea so the idea will be if you like your elevator pitch mm. but it's not a fleshed out and quite often if say we email each other a plot idea it'll be this happens at the start and then we could literally just type like stuff happens <laughs> and then the end <laughs> Yeah. Yes. So yes. <laughs> yes. You might go. Catherine might go. Oh, well, actually, like, I can think of one thing recently where I was on the bus and there was a woman putting on her makeup. Yeah. And you said you could imagine what would happen if, like, if this was a was a was a, a this is a rom com in way just waiting to happen where where she's putting her makeup on on the bus and then the hero the, who's the guy who's going to be the hero sits next to her and then she accidentally like tips makeup all over him and he's like no um, and. That has become a story. Yeah. That's become a, a, sh- a novel that is in first draft at the moment. Yes. Um, so it can be just something that small, mm. really, just mm. starts you thinking about it, I think. Yeah, because you have to start going, well, who is that person? Who's mm. he? Who? Why is he on the bus? Does he normally get the bus? What's his job? Is she going to a job interview? Yeah. Are they going to work together? That sort of thing. And you yeah. have to ask these questions to kind of think, ah, yes, that's what would happen then. Yeah. You know, does it sound convincing? Does it hold together? Yeah. I think in a way as well, writing together is quite useful because if you're writing your <coughs> own, you think, oh, this is really good, and you write the whole thing, and then you get to the end and you think, does that actually work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all done that. Yeah, so you have a kind of inbuilt sort of check and balance. Yeah, and then we don't really discuss, do we, who's going to take... Because when it comes to characters, that's the one part of writing we don't share. Mm. So we both share the narrative. Um, so if you like, we write, as Eleanor said... Um, we use Google Docs and it's pretty much 50-50 so we both write the narrative we both we both share everything except we don't share character yeah so we have each have characters that each other we write um, and we don't really discuss it because it becomes fairly obvious as you hashing out the narrative who's going to take which character mm. and it just happened quite organically I think yes I think so um, and then you'll have so, for instance, we won't we. There's a little bit of steering. So, say I need Eleanor's character to, I don't know what you would but say to pick up a cup of tea. Yeah. That I won't go. Is it okay if he picks up a cup of tea? Because it's not particularly yes. earth shattering. That no, you just, it's not gonna, that's gonna ruin the plot. Well, obviously, if I was gonna have Eleanor's character pull out a gun and shoot somebody, yeah, that'd be like, yeah, that pick- might be more significant. But we don't share dialogue at all. So, if I'm writing a character, I write their dialogue, mm. and Eleanor writes hers, and that's really important, I think, to make it especially with principal characters, because mm. we'll get on to support in a moment. Mm. But with principal characters, it's very important, I think, that they speak with a voice. And although people have said that they can't tell with us where one person's mm. writing ends and the other begins, I think if that's going to come out anywhere, it's probably going to come out in dialogue. Yeah, yeah, because I think... I think one of those things that we say to, to writers is you have to make sure that, you're, that if, if you took out all the dialogue tags, you'd still know which character was talking. Mm. Mm. Um and I suppose, in a way, it's, it's not cheating. It, I mean, it's something that's done so much in in drama and like TV writing and comedy writing and stuff, where they have either a pair or teams of people mm. writing dialogue together. And I think that why that works is because it, you've got an automatically built-in different voice. Mm. Mm. I think uh, so. That that's kind of how we do it. I suppose it also the kinds of characters that we tend to write. So. Mm. I quite often end up with the slightly sort of highly strong or rather awkward Tweedy types. <laughs> and I write the ones that never use one word when they could use 20. Yes. And a sort of flamboyant, flamboyant 
chilled out, talkative people, yes. basically. But even that, I remember when you said Rick couldn't... He, he a couple a of guess. people with yeah. the captain of the cavalry trooper have guessed and got it the wrong way round. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't think... But I think with that, because Captain Thorne is... That side of him doesn't come out so much. There's only a hint of it, but yeah. it's there. The, but he's very words. controlled and clipped because he is, you know, he's leading he's a, a cavalry unit. Yes. He's a captain. Um, but I think with everything else, if you know us, yes. you probably guess who wrote which. And that's fair yeah. to say. Oh, the actors as well. I think people get it the wrong way around. People got the actors the wrong way. Yeah. Because I am, of course, every, you know, anyone that listens to this podcast knows that I like an older posher gentleman mm-hmm. um, so people <laughs> always go for Eleanor's character that I must have written in but I didn't No, I wrote Adam, I didn't write Tom but I think if you read a lot of our stories and you know who writes which then you'd know from that as you'd, well. Yeah you'd probably start to spot. Yeah because I think the characters are all very different mm. but we have certain voices when we write yeah. even though as you say you know your voice you adapt the voice to the character I suppose it's like actors. Some actors specialise in certain sorts of roles. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so I, t- I kind of sometimes my characters tend to be the more naive character. So like Jack. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like uh, in the Ghost Garden, Cecily. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, that brings us on to other things. When we do write romances about straight couples, I tend to write the women. Yeah, you do. You tend to write the bloke. Yeah, you yeah. do. And it's not like something we set out to do. It's just how it falls out. So. Yeah, it seems to work. It does. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, but with supporting characters, when we have um, major supporting characters, again, we tend to know... who. Well, we, again, we don't really know, but we tend to just like organically divvy them up. Yeah. But then you'll get characters where we'll share. Mm. So I'm trying to think of an example, but... Marsh. Marsh. Yes, Captain Marsh. Captain Marsh, yeah. Because obviously sometimes characters could have extended scenes with other characters that you write. Mm. And it can be interesting then to share that character, to preserve it being an actual back and forth conversation. Mm. And certainly with minor supporting characters... You know, really so matter. like the lady in the post office, that kind yeah. of thing, um, where we're not really getting to know them. We're just sharing screen time with them. Yeah, and she's and she's just facilitating the, yeah. you know, rolling the scene onto the next bit. Yeah, is... yeah. I think where sometimes we realise that wait a minute, we've got a different vision of stuff. It's sometimes with the geography of buildings. Yeah. So an example of the day, something we're working on at the moment. Do you remember I had um, the characters walk through a back. A, a not, it's an office with an outer office and corridors and I, and I had it mapped out in my head really clearly but Eleanor had a different map of the building <laughs> and then I got really confused because I was like I don't understand where they are now and Eleanor was like well they're, they're in the hallway and I'm like what? what? which hallway? <laughs> yeah that hallway but I'm and it's suddenly because you think oh yeah we're not actually seeing inside each other's heads yeah um but then I think that's why one of one of the things we do when we're preparing to write stuff is very often we'll be going like, this is a picture of my character's house. This is and you're you like a car. When I get a car, I get the character. Yeah, but I tend not to be. I can't drive. That's probably why. Here's my character's bus pass. You will say to me sometimes she drives at this car, and I'll sort of assemble a shortlist for you. Yeah, I should be like, like a classic coupe, and I'm like, here are some coupes. Yeah, because I, I can see, I vaguely see a classic coupe in my head, but I kind of, I kind of, there's a whole sort of like semiotics of cars that yeah. goes right over my head. And there's so. the other issue as well that if someone drives a classic coupe, it's a world apart. They could drive one that you can pick up in a really nice condition for six thousand mm. pounds, but equally, you might go, that's a nice one. It turns out it's like one of ten, and it's 
worth like a million. Yeah, exactly. Because I'll be just like Googling like nice cars. Nice cars. And I'll just be there going, Catherine, look at this car. I love it. And Catherine will go, that's like, that's like one of two. Yeah. Whereas it's like, because I'm a bit of a like petrol nut. <laughs> that I'll go, in my head, I'll say, well, you know, I'm this exactly. Yeah. I'm like, it's a Jag XK150. Yeah. You know, from 1957 model. And Eleanor's like, cool and i have to ask questions like i want her to drive a classic st- jag but she's going to be driving this in the snow is yeah. that gonna work no. no and i was like no no god no but then what was interesting because this is something that um you'll hopefully see in the light of day in the next sort of 12 months mm. this um, what's interesting about that is that then actually that helps in the story yes that eleanor doesn't know that to any classic car not taking this particular car out in the snow you'd be like oh my god no so the character <laughs> driving it isn't a classic car not she just happens to be driving this car and does take it out in the snow which leads to a whole a whole story moment you know exactly so so sometimes it can be quite good mm. and there's other things though that are quite interesting so i think there was one um i won't about a certain clockmaker Oh yeah. Where you described the dashboard, and I said, "Oh no, that car doesn't have that sort. Of, it just it's got one of the you know." It, Eleanor managed to choose the one of the vintage cars with the barest dashboard that there is. Yeah, it's a bare dashboard. There's virtually nothing on it. And I was like, "There is no, there is no walnut dash. There's no glove box. There's no yeah. this." And that. Oh. 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 <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, boulder dash." And I know that to most people, those things aren't important. Yeah. But because this particular car is so identified with this bare metal dash. <laughs> That not many people would know it, but if you did know it, if I read it, I'd be like, "That's not right." One star, the car ruined the car it for one me. Star. <laughs> but I think like this leeway with that, mm. you know, there is leeway with that. Did we have it? Basically, she was a bit of a petrol head, so she'd customise. Yeah, and it, we had because yeah. what we actually made it, it was a plot point that the gent in the car with him, who was written by me, was really horrified at this dashboard. Like, what is this? That I'm like, it's Frankenstein of a car. <laughs> but I do know have friends who are classic car restorers, and they've um. They've seen cars, and we have as well, at car shows where they it's this beautiful vintage, but inside it's got this horrific modern thing put in it. Mm. And it's like a big fat spider on a wedding cake. Oh, no. It's ruining it. It's Stop. ruining it. But so, yes, so I, I go, I get cars, and when I got cars, I got character. And I quite like um, shopping for them as well. Oh, so. yes. So I, I, I did once, uh, I own a, I ran an online dress shop for like vintagey stuff so i do have a bit of a thing for clothes so i do like it if i go this is the hat this would you remember mm. the thing with it in the 1940s thing we wrote there's a lot of stuff we've written that has, isn't isn't out yet but um it was a 1940s thing and i said well she's wearing a robin hood hat and you were like a what <laughs> yeah because to me i'm from nottingham so that means someone from nottingham a robin hood hat is what you buy when you go to the um, when you go to the visitor center <laughs> in the 40s it was like a I suppose it was like a cheap way to make a hat because you just need to but it actually is the same thing as yeah. you would buy the visitor centre just nicer you know, yeah. so it's, you know. I think it's because trimmings for hats weren't rationed mm. so you could have quite a simple hat but you could put like a mm. massive feather on it if you could mm. get a hold of a feather so that's how those hats sort of yeah. became a thing yeah so. So, like so and we also um, there's something we're working on at the moment that we talked about in a previous podcast which is a sandbox and for that one I was having a bit of a I was having a, like a sick day wasn't I had a cold yeah so I went and I assembled all this I assembled like a map of where the apartment the okay. character lives in mapped it down to the office that they work in um, the bakery they eat at, just to give an impression to Ellen of this is what I'm seeing in my mm. head and also something like that because it's set in New York to you know to give an impression of how far from everywhere things are 
Yeah. Because there's a lot of movement in the story. There's a lot of moving people around. Yeah. So it's it's useful to be able to see on a map, and also equally a map from the era, that this was here. You know, this building wasn't there then, but it's there now. Some iconic buildings weren't there that are now. But also, as I say, give an impression where on the island of Manhattan things were happening. Yeah. You know, so how long will it take to get uptown from where they are? How far away are they from things like the Bowery, which is part of the story? Yeah. And oh, the, the subway maps. And... The subway maps, and, but obviously the subway maps and designations of the time, because mm. that's what... something you can fall down on. Yeah, so that's why the internet is, is very valuable, because yeah. obviously there are entire websites yeah. where someone has collected together and scanned historic mm. subway maps. And so. there was a great, there's a great website, I can't remember what it is now, but it's a, I think it's a public project by oh, in yeah. New York, which basically recreates New York of 1946. So it's got, uh, it's even got like a visitor's guide, doesn't it, that tells, mm. that was from the time scanned in where you could, they'll talk about each borough. And unlike now, where visitor's guides are very much what to see, this even tells you like the average age of people living there, the average income. It's colour coded so you can see which houses are housed, which buildings are houses, which are apartments. Mm. It gives you sort of an impression of this is a, these are the sort of people that live here. What sort of makeup the community has? It's just really, you really mm. fascinating as well. I think Google Street View is very handy. I find as well for um, yeah, trying to figure out stuff. So I've been, mm. I've been going around Greenwich Village. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because obviously, although it's not, you know, it's our era, yeah. it still gives you an impression of how things are laid out because the layout of the streets hasn't changed that much. No, no. and couple that with this nineteen forty six one that's very detailed, you can really almost like superimpose one on top of the other yeah definitely and obviously you can see straight away from looking you go that building is new mm. but then you can make it you can look at the other piece and go and that's what used to be there yeah fantastic yeah so resource. It's, yeah yeah so it's, it's i think that's something both being historians as well that whole thing of doing the historical research yeah we don't have to do it into the amount of depth you would have to do if you were writing non-fiction but you've still got to be fairly accurate because if yeah. you if you wrote about new york in 1946 and everything's right next door to everything and you yeah. know it we're just and it's got massive skyscrapers that obviously some were there but not that many and mm. it, it would it would stand out like a sort of sore thumb mm. wouldn't it mm. i think so yes so so that's that's how we do all that yeah um that's why we do that and for some things like something set now we don't go into obviously we don't it takes a lot less research mm. something set like you know the captain and the squire it's set in an english village now mm. so really what re- we already know that because we live here <laughs> yeah. um, so obviously the research you do is to in, so there's a little bit in that about antiques and a little bit about rowing as well and mm. boat races so you sort of prime yourself i think yeah and stuff about pigs because pigs, there's pigs and yeah. dogs and horses in that so we have to we have to be like could a pig yeah that was yeah. it was it i had to can Google, a pig go upstairs can a pig go up the stairs and there is no answer no straight answer no. i think it depends on the pig horses we're okay with because <laughs> that's something I know quite a bit about. Yeah. Um, dogs are okay with, and cats, because we know about them. Yes. Pigs, but less so. Pigs. Yes, my, my dad did used to work on a pig farm, but I don't think they ever used to go up the sure stairs. Sure, working on a pig farm. <laughs> but also, because like, where I live, there's quite a lot of farmland around me mm. as well, So, and where I tend to go and hang out and drink tea, there's quite a lot of farming people going there. So if worse comes to worse, you can always ask them. But I did ask one of those about pig going upstairs, and he was like, do you know, I've never even thought about it. Yeah, like, let's try. Like, but this is your livelihood. You let's get know. a pig and get some stairs. A pig and some stairs, and send that pig upstairs. And like, what, did we, what do they eat? Could a pig eat? And pigs eat apples and Yeah, well, fruit, yeah I wouldn't they? have thought they wouldn't yeah. not eat apples. No. 
Everyone likes apples. Nice apple there for the pig. Apple for the pig. <laughs> so, and I think as well when we're doing those things too, it's like you go, where are we setting this? Or oh, Sussex, and you kind of look up like Sussex villages, and you like, oh, this is nice. Like you can mm-hmm. see like that the kind of um, materials things are built in. Are, mm-hmm. do, are they built in stone? Is it mm-hmm. brick? Is but it, I think yeah. obviously you know when it's written when 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 you live, it makes it hundred percent easier. Yeah. Because you don't have to worry about, you know, even something set 20 years ago, you suddenly think, oh, mobile phones, what sort mm. of, what was the internet like 20 years ago? You know, suddenly those things come up. Yeah, you, got, you wouldn't be like looking on your mobile for, for like the way you would now. No, and I think yeah. Squire's quite an interesting one because that was originally conceived as being set in the 80s, uh, sort yeah. of in the, um, you know, the boom years of the Thatcherite 80s. But the more we thought about it, although. The more we thought about it, basically, because obviously it's a male romance, mm. that in nowadays, and you know, I'm not casting any comments here, but nowadays one would hope that a male couple would be pretty much accepted. Yeah. But obviously in the 80s, that becomes a whole different layer of stuff because mm. it would have been written around the time that, you know, AIDS was first being reported. Mm. And I remember growing up in the 80s, it, you, you know... I remember the first gay kiss on EastEnders and it was such a massive thing. Yeah. So just go, oh, this is a a village in the 80s in England and nobody, yeah, everyone's very accepting and, you know, because I'm sure some villages perhaps even today wouldn't be. Yeah. I think that is part of one of the character's problems, isn't it? Mm. That he's kind of, he's a bit nervous about Mm. coming out, which if you do live in a little Mm. village, quite possibly you would. Yeah, but we didn't want it to become, because it is a light rom-com. Yeah. So we didn't want that to be a whole other layer of stuff. No. Which no. I think it would be. And mm. the same with some other things we've written that we've had to really carefully think, well, where is it set? What are, what's it like for LGBTQ people living in these areas? Mm. And you have to be sensitive to that because that's people's lives. People on exactly. a very real basis experience. Yeah, so as much as you might even say, oh, well, it's fiction, it can be <laughs> fantasy. I think I think you still have to have some... It still yeah. has some some relation to reality, otherwise it's yeah. And it's as I say, I think silly. it's um, if if you set something, yeah, I'm not going to speak too in depth about this, but if you set something in a part of the world where clearly it's not a welcoming environment for people out in same sex relationships, and they mm. say, well, you know, it's fiction, but it's not fiction because people live that every day, yeah, and suffer yeah. because of that every day. So you have to be sensitive as well mm. that. You can't fictionalise and push under the carpet somebody's lived experience. Exactly. Because that geographical location is what you want to use. Ex- yes, exactly. Because I, I do think, you know, for people reading stories, that that, that is important to get that right. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. 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 Yeah, because readers are very, very sensitive too. Yes. And that's why we love them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And also, you owe it to readers to say, this is right. We've not just gone, we couldn't be bothered to get this right, so we've just got it's fiction. Yeah, because if you're reading something and you're kind of going, something doesn't quite yeah. fit with this. And we've and... all seen things on TV and things where you go, that's not right. Mm. You know, that's not the experience that I've had of that. And I know your experience personally isn't, but we've all seen things, I'm sure, and read things where we think that's just not right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's important to get it right, I think. Yeah. And again, you know, writing together, that can be a check and balance thing of going, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then also, because there's two people, we can both go off and research it and find, yeah. out, and find out exactly what's, what's happening. What's what? what? Yeah. What the crack is. Yeah. So when we actually are ready to write, sometimes, I think we've spoken in the past, we'll do test scenes. Mm. If we don't always do that, though. No. Um where we might just like put the characters together in a situation that will probably at some point be used to inform a part of the story mm. um, and just see how they relate, get the voice right. We don't always do that. No. 
No, I think it depends how ready we feel. And I think as well how much discussion has gone on before. Because with the sandbox, we actually did quite a lot of discussion before, so it felt like you could just jump into it and... Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think other times we might have an idea, but we might want to just kind of just explore it and see how it works a bit, just to get in their shoes. Um, yeah. So that yeah. once we do start to write it, you, you, you're ready, you know. You're, you're, it's, it's a bit like improving a character in a play before you actually start... Yeah. Actually starting with scene one. Well, I think it? I'm... I'm sometimes weary of it because I'm weary of popping your cork too early no (laughs) I guess if the characters you want them to start off not relating so well you don't want to go into a a test scene where they're getting on really well because then you have to wind that back yeah exactly so it's a delicate balance I think yeah well we did a test scene with the captain of the cavalry trooper which was like the end of the story because we knew what the end was going to be yeah and um it was gosh it was similar in some ways but very different in others yeah, the the farmhouse was exactly the same. Yeah, but, um, but um, the Captain Thorn was. If you've read Captain Cavalry, Captain Thorn. By well, I'm not spoiling anything to say that his. You get to know his character throughout the book and get to learn that he's he's a bit more than the sort of stern, yeah, whip wielding cavalry officer. But at, in the test scene, that he still was that, and I think it worked because it was a good way to get to know what he was going to be like at the start. Mm. But equally, you know, without... I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil the story for anyone that hasn't read it. It wouldn't have been a satisfactory ending if his character had stayed in a certain yeah. way. And I think the way that Jack in that test scene was quite irritating, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he was kind of, like, cheeky, but cheeky in a way that just comes across as rude, whereas when once we actually started writing <laughs> rude. it... He's rude. Yeah, he's, he is a little bit cheeky, but he's got that kind of naivety that softens it a yeah, bit. So yeah. I think he was a bit too knowing in that test yeah. scene, and it was better if he wasn't. Yeah. Sorry, I keep slapping my leg like I'm in a pump. Yeah, stuff. I think that's fair to say. Um, so they can be useful, and they're interesting little artefacts to look back at. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and sometimes even turn into other things. Yeah, or, yeah. Or you might even just go, oh, we can use that scene now. Yeah. Just yeah. tweak it a little bit. And, we have done uh, that. That all. Yeah. Definitely, because nice. the writing's good, why not? Exactly. You know, why not? Um, so, yeah, and then we start writing. And sometimes, it's a funny one, this, because sometimes we've had stories where we've plotted it to the nth degree before and it's all written out in almost chapter-by-chapter chapter detail. Mm, Ghost Garden was like that. Well, it had to be, yeah, anything that I think that's like a mystery kind of yeah. has to be. Because you need to know the beats and the momentum and make mm. sure you're hitting all your beats. But sometimes we'll go, this is the beginning and this is the end and this needs to happen in the middle. Mm-hmm. And we will have a sort of plot document, but it's all—it's just like ideas chucked in, isn't yeah. it? And I think we did a thing where I started deleting the ideas as we used them, yeah. just so we could see what we had left. Yes. And also, and also, yeah, kind of like chucking them in as you go along. Yeah. So it is. I think. I think sometimes with writing, people can think that there's two ways to write. Yeah. You're a plotter or a pantser, so you're flying by the seat of your pants. And I do think sometimes we fall in between that. Yeah. So we have a we have a. a, a skeletal sort of plot but as we're writing and getting to know the characters and their world better we we can come up with things that enrich that so yeah yeah i think so yeah Yeah. i think that i think that works yeah i think it does and then sometimes we don't really have anything to say other than a framework or like the sandbox we're working in at the moment some characters and a place and that's it and then the characters are telling us the plot as we go along and that's I think I said before it's like a game that almost like if you're a gamer you know this you know you're playing The Witcher or whatever you have a main quest 
that takes you through the game and then you have side quests that are like you know anyone that's played this is like deliver this potion to so and so go and get you know some plants from the wood <laughs> or go and assassinate such and such and you can do them or you cannot do them but they're there for side quests like achievement yeah. unlocked type yeah. thing yeah so it's kind of like wandering wherever you like kind of like skyrim or something yeah so yeah you're, yeah you're just like yeah. shall i go over here go take my horse over here yeah, see what's, over over there. what's going on in this village not it's much skyrim probably snow yeah. Oh, it's snowing and it looks beautiful. Um, yeah, <laughs> so it's that. Um, and sometimes though, those side quests, if you like, in the sandbox, open up other quests. Or you mm. think, oh, that's going to be useful in the future, you know. Yes. Something and comes up. Exactly, because there might be some character as well that, that you when when you write the side quest, you need a character who just does something fairly, like, perfunctory. Yeah. But then actually, as you start writing that character, you think, this character... There's something... They've got something they're not letting on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I think they might be quite useful. So yeah. it's quite... It, it's like, it turns into that thing where... The writing together thing is a bit like when you're a kid and you, your friend comes around and you're playing together. Mm. Um, playing with your Barbie dolls. Yeah. So there isn't... It's kind of plottish but because you're writing, but but there's that freedom to play, essentially, isn't there? Yeah. This world that you've built, um, which is nice. It's it's fun to do. And I think, I think quite healthy thing to, for writers to do sometimes creatively writing just for the sake of coming up with just playing with stories playing with characters mm. playing with settings just having a go at something without sitting there going oh god how's this going to work mm. as a story mm. so but i am aware of the, obviously that for some writers that don't have the you know if you're trying to fit in lots of things in a busy life it can be difficult to allow yourself the time to just play mm. uh you go i've got to write this i've got to get my next book out so but we're just having a play at the moment. So. We're having a play at the moment. We are indeed. So, yes, so when we're writing something, we, we write it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we kind of, when it's finished, we kind of just sleep it. Oh. Um, and then independently of each other, we'll go back and just tweak what we want, you know, go through, give it a run through. Because our f- first drafts are quite complete. Mm. But then obviously they're not. You need to revisit. But... Um, we tend to then, as I say, independently of each other, to go through it whenever we want to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like tweak bits, flesh it out, take this out, change mm. that. But um, And then when it's done, if it's a Captain novel, obviously, we'll talk about that because it's probably easier yeah. to use those. If it's, um, We'll send it off to our editor mm-hmm. and then the editing starts. Mm. Um, and the editing process at the moment, we kind of divvy up the work on that. Mm. So... Um, We'll kind of swap back and forth on this, but at the moment, Eleanor is doing the first edit. Yeah. Um, and then I'll... Anything that's my attention, you know, we'll double-check. And same if I'm doing it, if there's, like, a question Eleanor's dialogue, that's for her to... Re- I, we don't check... Well, if I'm ready to ask for a change or a suggestion, we don't make that call. Although I think, like, this time recently you did, which I was perfectly happy for you to do. I think, yeah, I think it's something that's, like, if it's, like... Um, when you're writing, sometimes you can miss a word out. When yeah, you're writing, if it's something it's, clear, but if it's if like, it's can obvious. you reword a piece of dialogue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or can, can this be two separate sentences? And basically, if all, if all that means is turning a comma into a full yeah, stop yeah. and taking out an and. Then and also, our lo- edits are generally quite light. Yeah. So there's nothing world-shattering, you know. Or um, something we're going to talk about coming out it might actually be out by the time you hear this, but if not, it's due out imminently. The Dishevelled Duke, which is a short story or mm-hmm. novella. That needed some extra words to bring up to word count. I did. <laughs> um, not too many. It was about... 700? Yeah, a few hundred. Um, and we discussed how we're going to do it. We're going to flesh stuff out. And then when I started going through it, it became apparent that Charlie, who is a talker anyway, Charlie had a lot more to say. 
so it was quite easy for me to go through to sort of you know build the world a little bit more it's set in a snowstorm on the big on the london eye so it, you, it's really nice to sort of draw out because you were aware when you're writing a novella to a word count that there's an upper as well as a lower and sometimes they're quite close together mm. um so with this one we would kind of like been quite spare so it was nice to know that we had the freedom to not be as spare as we'd been yeah um, and to flesh it out and give some extra dialogues, things like that. And it was quite easy. It's very easy for us to add words. To <laughs> harder to take them out. That's true. So uh, with that, I was, you know, because Eleanor didn't particularly have a burning desire to extend her character's bits and bobs, which is... Yeah, it's difficult because because I think, especially with like something that's a novella, it's kind of... I suppose you write it in a slightly different way to how you'd write a novel because because you are aware it's shorter. So things tend to be more compact. Mm. So if you're trying to add in extra words, it can be quite difficult to do. Yeah, and I think I think I think the obvious thing to do in a way was to because I think both of us to start with were like, oh, what are we going to do? And then actually you were like, well, I've looked at it yeah. and Charlie's a, Charlie likes to chat. So, But it would have been a bit diff- more difficult for my character, I think. Yeah, I think it would. Because he's a barista. So I suppose he would have had like added in some bits about, um, you know, coffee machines. Yes, and baristas talk about things that aren't for coffee. <laughs> do, they, do they have a life outside of being yes, a barista? Yes, they do. I'd be very careful. I'm good friends with a couple of baristas. <laughs> they certainly, certainly have a life outside of being a barista. Think, like, you know, in the cafe, what's he up to in the cafe and all this sort of stuff? I don't know, but um, that's so like what's up to the cafe when they're on a massive big wheel? Oh, that's true. 50, 90% of the stuff, that's true, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because it got it was resolved very easily, yeah. So you just sort of go, he 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 rubbed his hands together because they were cold or not, <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, so yeah, so things like that. Um, and then they get released, yeah, and the, that's it, <laughs> that's it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in terms of like the kind of nuts and bolts of how we how we do it but I always used to like when I was writing on my own I always used to write longhand in pucker pads because they're lovely um, and and I kind of like when I wrote my first non-fiction which was a uh, and obviously there's a deadline with that this isn't just be faffing about that was the first time I'd ever actually typed like going straight from my head into mm. typing rather than having that stage of writing longhand and then writing up and obviously we couldn't write like we do together if we were writing longhand, like how would you like send I, it through the post? For me, oh, you know, I love to write longhand, but the thought of having to write longhand something that I would then have to copy out, type out. Oh my, oh my! But I found as well that once I kind of like stopped doing that, it did free me a bit because I, I would, I would just keep going backwards um, over and over mm. and over things as you can imagine, and I kind of actually found it quite liberating when I was mm. like, I could just type this up as it comes out of my mm. head, um, which was good, and that's kind of how we how we work. So that I'll go online. Has Catherine added a bit? She has. I'll add a bit, and then if we're like both online at the same time, then we could kind of see each other yeah. typing and stuff. So. Yeah, and that tends to be in the evenings that mm. we have set time. Otherwise, like it's just when and if you know. But yeah. generally every day. Yeah, and then sometimes you add loads, sometimes you don't add loads, and sometimes you spend the entire day disagreeing over, I don't know, the layout of the office. (laughs) 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 Not quite that, but you know. Um, And I think it's fair. Like I think you know we should touch on that because it's not always sunshine and roses, Mm. Um, and I don't think any collaboration is. I, I, you know, I'm this is with no disrespect to anyone whose collaboration has never hit an obstacle or a bump in the road, but I think that most 
do. I think they do. Like any long relationship where you're working closely with someone. You know, it's very rare, even when, if you work with someone who's your best friend and you see them in the office, there's going to be times where you think, oh, you know, she's like, who put 50p in her, that kind of thing. You know? yeah. <laughs> you've, you've, you've nicked my chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that would be out of order. Who's eating all the biscuits? Um, so we don't generally have too many issues, mm. but when we do, we do. Yeah. It's a funny one that I'm trying to think of. It's usually over things that seem like they're going to be really small. Mm. And then you go, oh, just to mention, and the fuse lights. Yes, and I, I think it can be the issue of how we're communicating. If you, if because we use messenger, and I think sometimes it's just that issue of tone, isn't it? That if somebody said it to you aloud, it would be different from seeing it written down. I think yeah. sometimes just seeing something written, you know, especially which you might be listening to this going, but you're writers. How mm. could you not get the written word right? But I think in in a message, it's harder. I think you anyone that uses messenger knows. Yeah, you can't just go. I was just wondering, she said, with a smile on her yeah. face. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of too many examples, but they definitely are. <laughs> I just can't think of any now. I was looking forward to writing that scene. Oh, yeah, can we talk about that? <laughs> In brief. Yeah, okay. So there was a scene for something that's not come out yet, um, and we'd quite early on envisioned a particular scene. Mm. And there was going to be a really big... <laughs> This is awful, because it's going to make me look like a complete mare. A really big show scene for Eleanor's character... And quite a show scene for mine, but it was more for yours. Mm. But it depended on my character doing a particular thing. It was. It sounds really dull, but it was an employment tribunal. It was more exciting than that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Promise. And then as we were writing, I began to think, I don't think he's going to do it. Mm. The way his character's going isn't going in the right... It's going right for the story, but it's not going towards that. Mm. So I was sat outside, it was summer, and I was plain spotting. And I thought, you know, I'll just drop Eleanor a line. Oh, girl. <laughs> Oh, girl, it's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things it's difficult when you're writing things, and I think most writers have this that there's there's the seat there's like certain scenes that you know are you're really looking forward up, to those that you're scenes, looking forward yeah. to to the point that some writers will actually write those bits first so yeah. that they they so that they're not being distracted by yeah. this this sort of you know it's like when you're at school and, and it's you'd like, kind of written it in your head, yeah. Um, but the reason I wanted to go away from it is because I felt... Firstly, it wasn't about the character, but I also felt that, although in our heads we'd envisioned it, in, it meant a certain thing when it would happen, that to the reader it would just seem like he was behaving in a really awful fashion. Mm. And it was such an important point in the story that if we lost the reader, mm. it would have been really hard to get him back. Yeah. But what it looked like, obviously, what it looked like immediately... And because writing, you do emotionally invest in your mm. characters... It basically, like, I grabbed the rug and pulled it out. Mm. And Eleanor did say, but I was really looking forward to that. And I did say, you know, very, I'm not saying we can't do it, but we really, if you can, if you can come up with a way we can do it mm. with a different impetus, because mm. it will be a great scene. But it, 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 <laughs> it became a thing. Yeah. And I think that thing is when you're, when you're in the zone. Mm. It, it can be quite hard when you're in the zone and you're right and you're doing you're doing you're doing and then suddenly the zone disappears yeah and it's like oh no and i think as gone? well this is no like reflection either but we have different personalities mm. um and i tend to repel actively repel what i would which you've heard me talk about oh it's drama mm. and to me it was like let's just go away and take a night off and come back tomorrow but then that had the appearance to you of sort of shutting down discussion about it. Yeah. 
but I didn't feel like it was discussion. It felt like it was going to be an argument. Yeah. So we were both coming at it from completely different ways, you know. And mm. sometimes we we're human. Sometimes you're going to fall out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we're good, you know. When we don't fall, it's not like mudslinging. It's not horrible, but it's no. very much like war of attrition, isn't it? Yeah. It's not that we go, oh, you effing boop. No, boop, no, boop, no. And I was looking forward to doing that boop scene. No. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. Thanks. No. But my reaction to it is to go, and as I say, this is not. No one is wrong, and no one is right. It's two human beings, you know. Mm. But. My reaction to stuff, and I know this, can come across sometimes as quite um, cold. Mm. But it's not cold. It's more kind of trying to go, let's not make this an emotional thing. Because I know, we all know, we're all human, that when you start to get into that side of it, mm. you start to lose the anchor of what the discussion is, which is about a scene. Yeah. And then it becomes a personal argument. Yeah. Which is easier said than done, you know, for humans, I think. Exactly, exactly. And it, and there's the other thing as well. It's like, I think messenger is a bit make, does make this sort of thing harder that you start trying to explain what you mean and then you're like trying to phrase it in a way like yeah. oh no and it's like you've been trying to write that reply to me for 10 minutes it's like, oh, no, I'm trying and it's to- when you can see the dots coming up and then you literally you might get no <laughs> and i'll say to my husband oh god she's been typing for 10 minutes and then i get <laughs> but no. it's only because i've been going like i've, I've written a reply and then i'm like mm, no hang on a minute i'm not sure about that reply better just change it and it's sometimes it's just like i don't know if it's just to say i've got a reply <laughs> yeah and <laughs> i think it's you know hopefully just, i mean other i'm trying to case. word it in a way that explains what i mean but yeah i think because for me you know anyone that knows me knows that in life i've had my fair share of drama in the past so now i don't i'm not at home to drama you know <laughs> and so it's not cold but it's more going let's just keep it chill you know, but when one person isn't as chill as the other, mm. then the never the twain kind of thing, isn't it? Because that person's inflamed and that person's going, uh, and it looks like one's over bothered, one's not bothered. Oh, well, really, you're just both as bothered at each other, but mm. you're just expressing yourselves differently. Yeah. And generally, I mean, we have had some real ding-dongs, <laughs> but they're like ding-dongs where nothing's said. That's true. That They'll go for a couple of days, it's like, oh, let's just take a couple of days off. And then a couple of days later, like a really sort of cold exchange. <laughs> You're like, we need to look at these edits. I know I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's a trouble, isn't it? Because even saying, I know I'm going to do it, it could just be like, oh, I know I'm going to do well, it. Well, I, I, I know. do a lot of judicious use of emoticons <laughs> in that situation. Um, but generally, once we've had a... It's usually when we have a conversation, mm. like a Skype conversation, it gets sorted out. Mm. And I always say that it's much easier to have... And I think... In the past, like I know you understand it now, mm. that when I effectively shut it down, it's not shutting it down, it's saying, this is a circular thing now for over an hour kind of thing. Yeah, we're not getting anywhere. With you going your way, may I go mine? So let's wait till we actually chill out a bit, yeah. a cup of tea, night's sleep, do whatever, mm. and we'll come and have an actual verbal conversation. Because it's quite difficult, I think, with the verbal conversation, because uh, I have, uh, how can I put it, issues with my hearing. Yeah. So I can't pick up a phone at the moment. Um, and it is difficult then, if, if I'm at work and it's lunchtime, that I can't Skype until like several yeah. hours later, and you kind of, and then I start being concerned, like, oh, should there be a conversation earlier than this? Yeah, to- but I think that's the situation then when you. Oh, this is not anything that your mum is saying because we've discussed it. That mm. you dwell on it more. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas sometimes, like when we talk, Eleanor's dwelt on it for a couple of hours, whereas I've been out like walking my dog. And that's because we have different lives. So I'm lucky I work at home. I can go out if I get stressed and want some time. I can go mm. out and take leave my phone at home and just go out and mm. do something, you know. 
um usually take my work with me but you know um and it is just like we're different personalities and we have different approaches to things Mm. and neither one of us needs to change to the other person's approach but we've just had to find that common ground of understanding the different working methods i think it's Mm. fair to say and i think to be honest like other people i've heard of who've who've tried to do writing together just cannot find a way to do it Mm. and would for instance find the way that we work together in the same google doc where you can see each other typing feel really uncomfortable Mm. about that because it's like you know if if you're like typing something and someone's standing next to you and watching suddenly you can't even spell properly because it's like you're really self-conscious about it yeah maybe to start with we were a little weeny bit but we very soon got used to it i don't know if i was because i've done it before yeah because obviously i had a novel out before that Mm. i so I don't think I was as much. I mm. think when you start with someone new, because you always have to think of like, what if when they start, they're just really bad. But yeah. luckily, because we both already had published work, so we both knew the other one could write. Yeah. But equally, if you can't find a voice together, if you just look really different on the page, mm. then you're stymied, which luckily we didn't. And I think, yeah, I think that's what's quite good, is that we can, although obviously we, we kind of say that we're saucy romance with a British twist, that... There's quite a lot in there. I mean, it's 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 um dashing chaps. It's chaps in tweed. It's, it's chaps in uniform. Perky ladies. Perky it's, ladies. It's, it's pigs. Um, but then Parrots. at the same time, we still manage to do things where we go, right? Let's write a regency. Let's yeah. write. Yeah. And then, and then we and the thing with the sandbox at the moment is. 1940s New York, yeah, which is, is not British. No. And saucy twist. Well, it's a bit saucy. But it <laughs> well, is. It's not very. Not yet. No. No. No, not no saucy one's. Yet. No one's ding-donged anyone yet nobody's finished <laughs> yet and we've written about how many words have we written i don't know we've written a lot let's it's just about say 60 that. or eighty thousand. Yeah. i think as well that um you have to you know we said this quite well i said this quite early on having done it that you have to like leave your ego at the door when you're mm. co-writing because it's such it has to be a mutual exchange mm. you can't have someone who's oh you know they write the principle you or maybe you could but i think ultimately it'd be unsatisfying if one person wrote all the main characters and one got all the secondaries yeah um, and I think as well, you have to be willing to occasionally fall out. Mm. You think? Yeah, it is, it is a thing. I think sometimes it just comes from the fact that we care about what we're writing. Yeah, and yeah. We care about the story. Yeah. And if you do have some sort of idea in mind that you really care about, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it, I think this is for, for writers. It's the experience you have when you've written something and you've sent it to your editor, and then your editor doesn't like something that you love and you yeah. want to keep. And I know people going about oh, what's it, kill your darlings mm. and stuff, but you don't want to have like a massacre of darlings. Do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, We've been quite fortunate. We've not really had that. No, we have been fortunate. Oh. We have, been. but then sometimes you have to himself me ruthlessly massacring Eleanor's dream scene. <laughs> I suppose it it depends on it how, how how when that situation happens that you have to kind of remind yourself this isn't personal <laughs> this yeah, isn't, isn't this isn't like I'm going to deliberately like going back to the idea of, of kids playing this hmm. isn't this isn't the, the the younger brother who's just driving his no. toy car through the Sylvanian village no. and, and and just knocking everyone over and sending everything flying it's yeah and it's like you have to be sensitive to it and that goes on both sides that if one person doesn't feel that it's right for their character. I mean, sometimes you can say, we have in the past thought that and then actually gone, oh, no, because, you know, and made it work. But if someone really very strongly mm. feels it, I think it's like, respectfully, you have to listen to that. Yeah. And I think that is, that's the thing when you're reading something and it feels like somebody's bent something round just mm. to convenience the plot, but it's not, doesn't feel uh, authentic for the character. Then I think that is that does pull readers out of a story and it's not, you know, it's not yeah. a good thing to do. Yeah. 
And of, as we found with the one that we were talking about where we had, where we cut a scene, that the scenes that took its place were actually much better, yeah. ultimately, and pushed the story to a much more interesting narrative as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And I think it's like you have to remind yourself, you know, that the way we do stuff is if you're loosely plotting something, even if there is a scene coming up that you're really looking forward to, if you're loosely plotting, it could be that you just take a different subject to change. Yeah, different exit off the roundabout. Yeah. And you don't so that's not an accidental part. Very subject to change. <laughs> yeah, you you have to you have to um it has to be that balance between really caring about something but also being like, I really care about it. However, overall, I care more about the actual novel mm. working properly than just me having my special scene. Yeah. And I think, you know, because we've had points where we've kind of, you know, questioned... When when you've had particular ding-dongs, as we say, you might question, like, is this worth the stress? Mm. But I think that's like anything creative. You know, I know people who write solo and sometimes they'll say, you know my editor has asked for this and that or such and such has happened and I just wonder if it's worth it but ultimately you love doing it and you know we've got a good friendship mm. so you can you, you just work it out don't you yeah, and, and sometimes that might mean taking a couple of weeks off yeah and I think if, if you you know if, if you do have a ding dog it can be that there's like a misunderstanding or a certain way that something might be put across that doesn't really work for the person that you then have to just kind of take yeah. stock and think okay well, next yeah. time something like this happens yeah we we'll all have things that way. we're sensitive to exactly and you might, and it's just about being honest and open, I think, and mm. being, as I say, being willing to have difficult conversations, mm. definitely. But I think that's like any collaboration. It's you know, you know, when you go to watch football, you know that if they they do bad, they're going to get hair dried in the dressing room. That you have to have. We'll see players on the pitch kind of shouting at each other for making a mistake. Yeah. But it doesn't mean they're going to go into the dressing room and like never speak again. You know? <laughs> Fold their arms and turn their back. Yeah, it's the same <laughs> way that you, if anyone is in a relationship or anything, you sometimes you fall out. Mm. And often, I think, in relationships, you fall out over really daft things. Like, yeah. like, do you have to make tea cakes right now? Yeah. Well, you always have to make tea cakes. Yeah. <laughs> you see? There you, go. there you go. There you go. There you go. So yeah, that's. I think. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I think it's a. It's a very invigorating experience, and particularly as we're in the sandbox at the moment, just for a bit of, um, you know, as we're recording this, Christmas is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're listening to it, Christmas has gone. Happy 2020. Um, <laughs> I wonder if we're still in Europe. Well, we we'll get I wonder who our government is. I wonder who our government is. Oh, but anyway, gosh. Christmas is coming. Um, so we just thought, rather than start something new, because we've got a lot of things coming out in the next few months. Mm. We've got a lot of editing and things like that. So we just want to have some fun and like almost go on a holiday with writing, if you like. Yeah, because it's, you know, when you edit... It's fun this, anyway, don't get me yeah. wrong, but... When you're editing and, and the promoing and stuff, it's, you know, it's... To be honest, it can be quite hard to actually hold on to a plot if you're doing, like, loads mm. of these other mm. things as well. So, um, mm. yeah. So yeah. there you go. So there you are. That's writing as a two. Yes. Out of the inkwell. Uh, <laughs> um... Coming out of the Inkwell very soon, or maybe already just, but I think probably very soon, on the 11th of February 2020, if you keep saying 2020, 2020, is Totally Entwined's Little Bit Cupid collection. It is. So it's four stories from their Pride imprint and four stories from their Totally Bound uh, imprint, um, which are basically Valentine stories. Yeah, we don't know what the other ones are. No. We will by this point, but we don't, right? Well, we do know. 
Yes, well, we will. One of the one of the uh, totally banned ones will appear on our. There will be something about that on our blog yeah. about one of them. So we'll but see that. But. We won't be announcing other people's because that's kind of stealing their thunder. Yes. I believe that's what led to the breakup of the Likely Lads. So let's not do that. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, ours is the dishevelled Duke, which is about. Um, well, oh, it's about. I'm just reading this and absolutely wondering how much I should read. <laughs> well, I'll just read you this. Will a photographer be swept off his feet by a duke who's more dishevelled than dashing? Really? And it's set, oh, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> Ten talks. It's set on a snowy London Eve atop the London Eye, mostly. Yes. And there's two lovely big dogs in it, too. There are. There's also a, a bit in it that came from when I was on a train once. Which is ex- ex- exciting thing, uh, which I won't, I won't, I won't say. I'm not allowed to say. There are trains in it. Yeah, well, there's a departing train. Uh, yes. So yes, so that's what there is. So the Dishevelled Duke is coming out. It's a short story, um, and it's cute as beans. It is. It's lovely, um, and unusually for us, it's clean. It is. So there's no sauce. There's no sauce because you can't do that in the London because it's all glass. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be that would be quite naughty. An outrage, but the, what there is is some loveliness and romance, and a couple of really sweet characters. Yeah. So, so it's just it's just perfect if you just want something something light and happy. It's, yeah. It's like a little shoe bun. Pour of, yourself a glass joy. of something fizzy. Yes. And sit down and enjoy, and get to know Nigel and Delia, the enormous wolfhounds, as well. <laughs> and also, there's not a twist. But there's something in it that we hope will make you smile. There's a little regal something. Little regal something. Little regal something. So, Catherine, um, who's putting the fizz in your gin this week? The fizz in my gin is not the person I thought I was going to say. Oh! Who's put the fizz in my gin is the marvellously named Cheryl Hole. (laughs) And by the time this goes out, RuPaul's Drag Race UK will not be news. This is not going to be a spoiler. No. Um, but Cheryl Hole came fourth. But I think it's fair to say that she was the winner in many of our hearts. So I always said the Vivienne who won. The Vivienne is a drag dynamo. Oh, wow. Absolutely amazing. Check her out. She's brilliant. But Cheryl Hole just has the most amazing show pony of a runway walk. She's hilarious. She's incredibly talented. And if you get the chance to see her live, go and see Cheryl Hole live. So in a sense, I had an image there in my head of a, of a drag queen on a horse. She's not but on a horse. Let me show you. <laughs> I will now show Eleanor. You can't see, but you're on the internet, so you go and find her. Yes. Cheryl Hole. Oh, fab. She's fabulous. Fab. And if you didn't watch Drag Race UK, it's still on iPlayer. Watch it. It's the best drag race in years. Much, much as well enjoyed by myself and my friend Rob as we watched it sort of remotely together from different part <laughs> counties. Um, and much to enjoy. So if you're not a dra- if you watch Drag Race or you don't watch Drag Race, this is a great starter. Awesome. And I've ruined who won, but you know it's going to be months old by now. So yeah, you you will know. It's fallen off iPlayer by now. Yeah, and also probably by the time you watch, you might have forgotten who won, or maybe not. But it's you know it's four months old. What can I tell you? <laughs> so Eleanor, who's putting the fizz in your gin? Okay, it's not actually gin. This is the mm, thing. It's um, an outrage. Okay, this is again recording this before Christmas. I needed to get my dad a Christmas present, so I went into a shop that sells like nothing but whiskey. This has whiskey and a bit of gin, and the man in the shop was trying to explain all these different whiskies to me and I'm like I'm like whenever I've tried it before it tastes like medicine I'm not interested and then he said oh there's this it's quite unusual he said it tastes like like honey smoked ham and I thought oh actually I wonder if it really does so I tried it and I tried it and it tasted amazing and I was just like oh wow 
Yeah, I'd drink whiskey if it all tasted like that. So, But you could just buy honey roast ham, which costs loads less. Well, possibly. But because I had quite a, a horrible cold at the time, and it, it, there are people who say that whiskey is medicinal, as they said under Prohibition, where they said, well, whiskey is very useful for certain maladies, so we can still prescribe it. So it's whiskey. It. Whiskey is putting the fizz in your whiskey gin. Whiskey is putting the gin. It was that particular whiskey. That particular whiskey. So say. there you go. So, there we are. so as I say, by now it's 2020. Um, I hope you had a lovely Christmas, or mm. however you celebrate the festive season. Yes. And I hope your New Year was a fine one. Yes, I and hope you you didn't have a hangover that lasted into February. And for those of you in Britain, I hope you got the result you wanted. Yeah. Our most recent, well, at Ouch. the time, our most recent <laughs> election at the time. Who knows? It's February. We could have had four more since then. There might be some more elections going on. There might on. be some more going on. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> we are very different. Eleanor avoids politics. I used to work in it and I devour it. I just... I, I just yeah I I made her watch the leaders debate but with much silliness going on but and also because obviously because I can't hear very well it's quite good because there weren't any captions you on see their so, so I don't know I could just see people talking and I could wasn't really sure what they were talking about so well, I could hear every word and I wasn't sure what they were talking about <laughs> but I haven't got the result you wanted and you know because obviously the most important election this year last year 2019 was Drag Race UK. Drag Race UK. That was the most important result, let's Should, be honest. Could Cheryl Hole actually be a Prime Minister? Would, does she have the... the She'd be amazing. She would be amazing. She would, yeah. Cheryl Hole as Prime Minister, that's the country I want I think she'd in. take that off makeup. Yeah, she totally would. <laughs> she totally would. It'd just be fun. Yeah. <laughs> let's have a drag cabinet. A drag drabinet. <laughs> drabinet. Drabinet. So there you go. So, nice to talk. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Find out more at our website, curzonharksdid.co.uk. And thank you, purple-planet.com, for the music.